Big episode today of the Tony G Show. Welcome in. I am the host, Tony G. Um, I have an assistant named Will McCormick. He's not here today. Um, no, I'm here. You don't listen to him. Oh, oh, I didn't see you over there. Yeah. All right. Different studio setup. Anyways, Will McCormick, the partner in today. Uh, we do have a big show to get through. Mm-hmm. Lots to talk about. Lots of stuff to discuss. There's going to be baseball, and there's also going to be baseball. And there's going to be, let's see, nothing else? Okay, that sounds good. No, we, it's one of the biggest uh, segments of the Tony G Show coming up. Oh, that's right. The return of the Tony G Show, season five, after six and a half long months. Mm-hmm. This means that today is the return of everybody's favorite segment in the podcast world, in the sports talk world. The return of Tony G's Picks of the Week. That's right. I mean... I am one of the best game pickers out there. Last season didn't go so great for me, I will admit. But the first season... First season was good. First season was really good. I was lights out. Last season, not so much. What did, what did you end up going last season? Do you remember at the top of your head? I have the notes right here. 29 and 23. <clears throat> yeah, that, that's pretty good. I just lost half the listeners. If you go... if you go, uh, Is that your all-time record or is that was just last year? That was just last year. Oh, okay, so when you go to all-time record, it's pretty good then. We'll get there, yeah. The Tony G picks of the week are going to make a return today. Week 5 coming up in the NFL 2020 coronavirus season. So I'm going to be breaking down Tony G's picks of the week just like normal. And uh, after that, or I suppose before that, we're going to be talking the Tennessee Titans as well. After what they did, they broke their coronavirus protocol Earlier this week, we'll talk about possible consequences and just discuss the irresponsibility of their decisions in general. So anyways, before we get into all that, as I mentioned, I'm Tony G, available on Twitter at TonyG4Days. My partner, Will McCormick, is available at Willis5312 on Twitter. And uh, also, we are affiliated with SNC Radio. You can listen to SNC Radio on sncradio.com or search up and favorite SNC Radio on the Radio FX app. What do you think, Will? I mean, this is a short in- intro compared to the six and a half minute yeah. intro we had in episode one. We had a lot to go over last time. Yeah, um, I know. We had to break down. Something, too, that we wanted to, like we were talking about before the show started is in the description, we were thinking about putting timestamps for um, all the topics we were discussing today. So if you end up wanting to just listen to the football stuff, go to the description. You can see exactly when that starts. That's that's a good point. Will, that I got to give credit to Will here before we start the show. That is his idea. In the description, I will be putting the timestamps uh, so you can check out, if you will, whatever parts of the podcast you would like. I would recommend you listen to the whole thing because we're funny, we're interesting, and oh, we're yeah. opinionated. But either way, just in case you don't want to listen to the whole thing, you know, it's a short commute to work or whatever, there will be timestamps in the description. Will, are you ready to get going? I'm ready. The Tony G Show, coming your way. Well, it's good to be back. I'm so excited to start growing some arguments again, to start having arguments. Mm -hmm. And we went in depth in episode number one on football. It was an all-football episode, uh, besides that one tennis story we talked about towards the end. This is going to be all baseball, minus the picks of the week, of course. So there's a couple baseball arguments I have to make first. 
And then from there, we'll get to the Tony G Picks of the Week. So, first off, this episode, episode number two of the Tony G Show, is being recorded Thursday, October 8th, 2020. Wednesday night, October 7th, 2020, the Los Angeles Dodgers played the San Diego Padres in Game 2 of the NLDS. And in that game last night, something very interesting happened. Dodger pitcher Bruzdar Gratterall comes into the game. It's a 4-3 game, 7th inning, and the Padres have two outs at the time this pitcher comes in. Batting with a man on is Fernando Tatis Jr., the young stud, shortstop for the Padres. A home run here would give the Padres the lead late in this game. It's the seventh inning. First pitch, Gratterall throws, fastball, 100. Second pitch he throws, fastball, 99. Fernando Tatis takes it deep to center field. The deepest center field in all of Major League Baseball, 407 feet. From home plate to center field. Cody Bellinger leaps up, robs Fernando Tatis of what would be the go-ahead home run for the Padres. In that moment, Dodger pitcher, Bruzdar Gratterall, celebrates by turning around, you know, showing a, a pretty energetic reaction to what had just happened. And what he does is he throws his glove, he throws his hat, he kind of points towards the sky in his beliefs. You know, no one can fault him for that part. But it was the throwing of the glove and the hat that set off Padre third baseman Manny Machado. Everyone knows Manny Machado for being kind of the outspoken, kind of the villain of Major League Baseball. Former what? Dodger, too, by the way. He's never had a problem or interaction with anyone. Good point. That's a lie. That man has had problems with just about every Major League team in baseball. And this particular incident sees Bruce Dark Gratterall and Manny Machado getting into verbal altercations or interactions from a distance, you know, from dugout to dugout. And a lot of swearing going on, so I won't get into details. You know, you can mouth read, obviously, if you watch the video. And that brings up an interesting argument, because was his celebration necessary? Was it worthy of setting off the opposing team? Or is it, isn't it what the players are vying for? I mean, isn't this what they're always asking for? Let the kids play? So I bring up that, that this interesting point because I think Gratterall's celebration, he was more in line to celebrate. I mean, he was well in line. He was well within his rights to celebrate in that moment. He did take it a little bit too far. I'll get there in a second. But in that moment, he showed the emotion that it seems like Major League Baseball players are asking for. Only if it's the hitter. The bat flips. And, and the helmet spikes, the jumping on home plate on a walk-off home run or whatever. It seems like that's what the hitters are asking for. Now a pitcher does it, and now it's not okay. You know, I've never pitched in a competitive game at all. Sure. But if I was going to give up a, a major run like that in the seventh inning, having a huge hole in the game being blown up because of me, I would sell it. And that's the point. It's emotion. It's all pure emotion. Pure is the key word there. Pure. Earlier in that game, Manny Machado hits a home run and threw his bat very aggressively in a manner that obviously attention was going to be pointed his way, and no one spoke a word. No one said a word of it. Obviously, people did now because he, he didn't like the reaction of Gratterall. But if that never happened, no one would have even spoken a word about Manny Machado throwing his bat. And before I continue with my 
analysis here. I want you to discuss this a little bit, Will, because you brought up this point to me before I had decided that we were going to go this route with the with the argument. And it's a very interesting point. You said I'll let you I'll let you talk after I break this down. You said that you would argue that the bat flip of Machado was more dangerous than the glove throw of Gratterall. I'd agree with you. I want you to elaborate on that a little bit. More or less, it could be used as a weapon. I mean, if the bat flip, if throwing a weapon however hard and high into the air as you want, um, if that's going to be allowed. Think about the the shape of a bat here. I mean, in the major leagues, they go from, what, 36 inches, something around there. You throw that, hits the ground, bounces here, bounces there, and bounces into something or someone. A glove is a small object. You throw that, especially a hat. There's no density or weight to it like a bat is you know you throw a bat and it bounces here and bounces there and clangs all around a glove you're going to throw on the ground and it may roll once twice and then it comes to a stop so i'd agree with you that it's much more dangerous to throw the bat instead of throwing a glove now it's important to note here gratterall after celebrating and machado obviously didn't like it and he vocalized it gratterall then waved goodbye to Machado and and kissed goodbye to Machado and and the Padres dugout. It was more so, I think, to the entire dugout. Obviously directed at Machado, but the entire dugout caught some of what Gratterall was trying to do, the blow blow and a kiss, whatever. That's a little bit too far. I'll let you celebrate. I'll let you have it. I'll let you throw your glove, throw your hat, whatever. Okay, do what you got to do to celebrate because hitters will do the same thing. Now you're blowing kisses goodbye. Now you're waving goodbye. Now you're getting a little arrogant with it. You know, when you, when you just throw the glove in a hat, it's a little arrogant too, but it's pure emotion. Now, when you're waving goodbye and kissing goodbye, now it's just pure insult. It's disrespectful to a point that I don't think throwing a glove in a hat is. That's that's my argument here. It's not as disrespectful throwing a glove and throwing a hat, throwing a bat even, than it is to wave goodbye to a particular player and the dugout in general. So I don't, I don't fault Gratterall for celebrating in that moment. I would too. Who wouldn't? I mean, that was a huge play made by Cody Bellinger in a huge series. By the way, the Dodgers have not lost in the playoffs. That's a very good team. My favorite to win the World Series. So, if you're in Gratterall's shoes here, and Tatis takes you deep. I mean, if, if center field is not 407 feet to center field, if it's like 400 or 399 like most ballparks are, that's a home run. Padres lead. Gratterall is... Now fatigued, and now now I wouldn't say fatigued. Now he's lost his composure after giving up a home run at a big point in the ball game. I don't blame him for celebrating how he celebrated. He took it a little too far though when he waved goodbye. I think. Yeah, and I think there's you know a fine line of gloating, um, which we're kind of walking that right now. But uh, Gratterall's uh, glove throw to Machado's bat throw. If he really wants to have a say about he, if he, if Gratterall can throw his glove or not, then his bat better stay in his hand. Lead by example exactly. is what you're saying. Lead yeah. by example. And I would agree in the sense that if you're going to say it's not okay, then you can't be doing it when it's you out there. And there's a big difference too between a bat flip and a bat throw. Yeah. And that's a what huge that, difference. It was a throw. It was like a, it, it was a, it wasn't like a toss to the side. Oh, yeah. It was like a full-on throw. Right. I agree. There's a difference between that, too. Like, I don't think, like, heaving your bat way into the air, throwing it actively is, I don't, I mean, I don't really, like, I can see, you know, a bat flip, because that's swing through. It's just kind of, like, natural to kind of. Yasmani Grandal, the catcher for the Chicago White Sox, 
has, I think, the most natural bat flip or bat drop that I have ever seen. I mean, he does it before in his follow through of his swing. That's his natural swing. Right. So when he hits it, it's natural for him to drop the bat and kind of look a little flashy with it. Listen, another side argument here. This isn't about celebrating as much as it is about the moment. If you're Manny Machado, you have to understand Gratterow's situation here. Because that's a huge point in the ball game. Like I said, I've said this a couple times in this argument already. In an important series, he just snuffed out the flame from the Padres. And you have to do everything you can to keep your momentum and, and to continue to be in control of that game in that series. Something the Dodgers do well here is baseball. That's a talented team. And they do things that other teams don't. An example. In that other half of the seventh inning now, runners on first and second, Padres bring in Drew Pomeranz, new pitcher. First pitch, up by one the Dodgers are, they get aggressive, double steal with a right-hander in the box. Catcher goes to throw to third base, he can't make the throw. Now there's runners on second and third just because of that decision. What happens? Fly ball, sack fly, run comes in. Then what happens? A bloop single. Second run scores. Now it's 6-3 to three instead of 4-3. to three. Dodgers won that game 6-5. That was the game-winning decision to double steal in that moment. Dodgers do things that other teams don't. Yeah, they're arguably the most talented team in Major League Baseball, but they do small things like that that win them games that will eventually win them series and what I predict win them the World Series. Knock on wood if you're a Dodgers fan. I'm pretty sure we have a full episode discussing about what they do right and why they continue to... Their front office. Yep, we went into their front office. I think it was last season or season three. You're right. One of the two. I don't remember which. But Dodgers do things like that that other teams just do not do. You know, you don't see... There's a reason why managing is so important. The Angels have all the talent in the world. Albert Pujols, I mean, I get he's in the back end of his career. Albert Pujols, Mike Trout. Justin Upton. I mean, you could go through a list of guys that they have that are just purely talented and they don't make the playoffs because they don't do small things like that. So how am I going to wrap this all together? Will the Dodgers do things right to win series and to win games? Yeah, by double stealing in that situation. Yes. But also by snuffing out flames and momentum, by making big plays like Cody Bellinger did to... Rob Tatis of a home run and rob the Padres of what would have been the lead. So don't nag on them for celebrating them doing what they do right. Especially when, when the Padres would do the same in that situation. When they would do the same thing. And what I would argue, which may be a little out there for me to argue at this point, but if they were in that same situation, the celebration to me would have been bigger. Like if Machado makes that play, makes obviously he's not in the outfield, he's a third baseman, but if he makes a nice diving stop or whatever and throws guy out at first base, he's going to celebrate. I mean, the pitchers are going to celebrate because that's a big play. You just saved my behind. And now we still have the lead if that were, were to be the situation or tied or whatever it could have been. The celebration would have been bigger. So just to kind of wrap that all up into one argument, you can't nag on the Dodgers for doing what they do right or relate that to any aspect of sports, especially in baseball. You can't nag on teams for doing what they do right when they do it. Mm-hmm. And it's a two-way street. Okay, so you could do the same thing, but don't nag on them for doing that. That's a little shorter argument um, about the Dodgers and what happened last night between Bruce Dark, Gratterall, and Manny Machado. Moving on, keeping in baseball, however... 
I'm going to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers. <clears throat> I got to get I got to get ready to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers cuz you know, I got to get my stress ball when I start talking about the Milwaukee <laughs> Brewers. I got to I got to take a little breath. Here we go. You know what? It, it could always be worse. It could always be worse? Yeah. What do you mean? Well, like at least they're Okay, yeah, at successful. least they're making the playoffs. Yeah. But when they go there, at least the last 2 years, they don't do anything. Here are some numbers. Here's an argument. The Brewers have made the playoffs for three consecutive years for the first time in franchise history. It would have been four, but they missed it by a game in 2017. Anyways, like I said, three consecutive years in the playoffs, but have not won a game in the last two seasons. Last time they won was in 2018. So, who should get the credit and who should get the blame for the fact that they get back there, but they don't go very far anymore? Let me start by saying this. There's a reason Craig Council is the longest active manager in the National League. He's been there for, he just wrapped up his sixth season. That's the longest manager in, in the National League currently. Crazy. It is crazy to think about that. When I, when I heard that stat, I almost, I, I almost fell out of my chair because I thought, wow. One, it's really been six years already since Craig Council took over for Ron Renneke. And two, it just shows you the rate of change managers have, especially in the National League, but in Major League Baseball altogether. Anyways, in the last three seasons, Craig Council, 214 wins, 171 losses. That's his record, again, the last three seasons. He is 6-6 six and six in the playoffs and 0-3 and in the last two playoff runs, 2019-2020. So, why can he get back to the playoffs for three straight years, but why hasn't he done anything for the last two? I argue it's not his fault. Who should get the blame? Anybody but Craig Council in this situation. My argument. Let's compare the rosters. Just the rosters from 2018 to 2019 and 20. 2018, the offseason heading in, who do they give Craig Council to manage? Christian Yelich, MVP and MVP runner-up in 2019. Lorenzo Cain, who hit about 300 and was a gold glover. Wade Miley, who pitched out of his shoes, just to name a couple of examples. Yasmani Grandal who went and got himself a big contract with the White Sox, who earned themselves a playoff berth this season. And Mike Moustakis, who, I mean, I got some numbers on Moustakis coming up pretty soon. What happened in the offseasons heading into 2019 and 2020? They kind of combine here. So there's not one particular name from one particular year. They just kind of combine these last two years. This is what I'm doing here. I give him Jed Jerko. Veteran, experienced player. I don't hate it, but... I mean, that was their best acquisition. And if that's going to be your best acquisition, be happy that you were even in the playoffs. They give him Justin Smoke, who, by the way, was DFA'd. They give him Omar Narvaez, who batted 176 this season. They gave him Mike Moustakis for 2019. Mike Moustakis wants to get paid because he performed really well. And he doesn't get paid, so he heads into free agency. Lands himself in Cincinnati for the 2020 season, this most recent season. Hits eight home runs, 27 RBIs, 799 OPS in this season with the Cincinnati Reds. Okay, heading into the playoffs this year, Craig Council had Brett Anderson, Jace Peterson, Ryan Healy out of nowhere. He was DFA'd at one point. He came back on the roster. But Brent Suter was his game one starter because Brandon Woodruff was on short rest. Here's where I get frustrated now. If there's anybody blaming Craig Council, they're in the wrong. Because this is not Craig Council's fault. It re- Honestly, it is not his fault. He has done so much to manage what he has had. These C-rate players 
putting them in certain situations, using his bull, bullpen magnificently, finding a hidden gem in Devin Williams to pair with Josh Hader. You get to the seventh inning, here's Williams for two, and then Hader in the ninth. He's managing his brains out, all right? He's doing a phenomenal job to get him back, but the talent is not there. So, of course, he's not going to get deep. This isn't Craig Council's fault. He's trying to win a, a postseason game. He's heading into Los Angeles for a quick three-game series, winner take two out of three against the Dodgers, the best team in baseball. He has to throw Brent Suter game one because he doesn't have anyone else. Brandon Woodruff is starting game two because of the rest issue. And who would have started if it wasn't Brent Suter? Josh Lindblom? Eric Lauer? Brett Anderson? What? You're not going to get anywhere with this type of B-rate, C-rate talent. You give them in 2018 all-stars. You go spend a little money. You go get deep pockets and 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 make sure that he has talent there to manage. And you fall one game shy of the World Series. This is not Craig Council's fault. I repeat, this is not Craig Council's fault. I'm going to blame the front office, particular names, David Stearns, yes and no. I like his ability to find talent. I ultimately blame Mark Antanasio. It's been a trend since he has been the owner of the Brewers. Is spending money. He hasn't done it a whole lot. David Stearns got him to empty out his pockets a little bit in 2018. Bring in some of those names that I just mentioned, but didn't do it again in 2019 and 20. Yet Craig Council still got him to the playoffs. Here's the thing, looking towards the future for the Brewers is they have great homegrown talent that's both current, where they're at now. I mean, Luis Arias is a phenomenal homegrown talent here. Uh, Devin Williams, who have come up, made their debuts with the Brewers, is what I'm saying. And they also have great talent in the future. So I'm interested to see how they play this offseason in terms of deciding where their strong suits are deciding where they have talent coming up in their weak suits and deciding where they need to spend money. Let me be clear here before I get into that. I don't think there should be a change in the front office personnel. I just think decisions need to be handled a little differently. I also think, you know, I beg on the pitching they had, the Brent Suters, the Brett Andersons, the Eric Lowers, the Josh Lindblums. I think they did their part. I mean, their ex- you had to temper expectations bringing in Older veteran guys like that, you know, they're not going to throw lights out. They're not going to do two, three ERAs here. They're going to have fours, four, fives, five ERAs. You're going to expect that. Where where I see fault, honestly, Will, is their offense. Their catching position in particular. Manny Manny Pena got injured, so who do they turn to? Omar Narvaez, the left-hander out of Seattle. And he bats 176. What? You're not going to do anything with that. Yeah. Jacob Nottingham also batted under 200. He had the one big grand slam against, oh, I forget who that was. I think it was the Royals at home uh, a couple week weekends right. before the uh, regular season ended. So, I mean, your catchers are batting uh, combined under 200. Manny Pena is not the best offensive guy in the world, but still, you have to figure something out. You can't expect to win World Series with... Omar Narvaez batting 176. You can't expect... You got to figure out first base too. Jed Jerk was only getting older and he was your first baseman. You know, while I'm discussing it, we saw above average play from Lorenzo Cain who batted about 300. I think he's about a 250 guy. I think he batted 250 in 2019, sat out 2020. I think he's about a 250 guy now. I don't think he's lights out. He's getting older. He had a long contract. I don't think he's going to perform to a 300 batting average anymore. 
and Christian Yelich had a down year this year, really down year this year. I get that plays into it, but you, I mean, you're still hearing the arguments that I'm making. The fact that you're relying on who for first base? I mean, you let go of Jesus Aguilar and you let go of Eric Thames, and now first base is wide open, and you kind of maj podge your lineup together, throw someone in there off the free agents list. You sign, they signed Logan Morrison. They signed who are the other names I brought up here? Ryan Healy, Justin Smoke, all to play the first base position. DFA'd two of them. They actually DFA'd all three, and Ryan Healy is the one they picked up again for the playoff run. I mean, you have to figure it out. You honestly have mm-hmm. got to figure that out. And quickly here, before I wrap up the uh, whole Brewer argument, while I'm arguing about the Brewers, I think Ryan Braun should be brought back on a one-year deal. Let him play. You know, he might not be a starter anymore, but but let him play one last season in front of the fans. Let him play one last full season. You know, I, I get he's, he hasn't dealt with the whole healthy. He's dealt with injuries a lot over the last couple of years. I, I get that. He's getting old, and it's probably going to be the same thing if you sign him to a one-year deal, but still so that he's there. Send him out the right way. Don't send him out with Ryan Healy playing first base. Send him out the right way, I think. Right. I just wanted to make that quick point while I'm arguing that. Anything yeah. else before I wrap up this argument? What I'd like to touch on, or I guess just kind of wrap up with too, is that you think that, at least with Ryan Healy, it's it's hard to have like a good team chemistry when there's like this constant change. Yeah. You see that in most sports. I mean, you see that in football if you have – you know, quarterback changing a lot. It's hard to keep that like that glue together. I agree. That much harder. And to that point, well, it's a good point that Mike Mustakis and Yasmani Grandal both played big into the team chemistry when they were here. And I get you can't keep both. I get they're both expensive. So if you don't keep one, you better try to re- replace mm-hmm. that talent. But they were still locker room guys. So, Yasmani and Mike Mustakis played so well into the chemistry. And and even Ryan Braun. Like you let I mean, it's almost like you want to keep him just because I don't want to say he's the face of the team because those younger guys, it's just having that comfortability of, of a familiar name. Yeah. Even, even that though guy like, to turn to. It's just having that familiar name there. I mean, you see why I have to bring out the stress ball when we talk brewers, because <laughs> I think they just don't do things in the most efficient way. I mean, I think they could be doing things in such a different manner to try and Go deep in the playoff runs. Not just make it, because Craig Council can get you to the playoffs. And he can manage in the playoffs. He's shown that. Got him a game within the World Series. But, he, I mean, a World Series team doesn't include Mark Mathias and, you know, Ryan Healy. Doesn't include Daniel Vogelbach being your DH. I get he hit really well. I'm not saying he didn't perform. But, you know, he, he performed really well when he was in a Brewer uniform this year. But you cannot rely on that just to pick up off the free agent market to be your cleanup hitter, to be your glue, to be your your stud in the lineup. I just think it's a little bit backwards how they've kind of done things. Transitioning here. Before we transition, just a quick reminder, a quick reset. The Tony G Show releases Tuesdays, Thursdays on Apple Podcasts or, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the host, Tony G, at Tony G for Days on Twitter. My partner, Will McCormick, at Willis5312 on Twitter. Moving on here. Did you hear what happened over the week when the Tennessee Titans, who had their most recent game canceled because of the coronavirus, they had protocols in place, said that players could not practice on, I think it was Tuesday. Yeah, I think it was Tuesday. Players could not practice. Uh, they canceled practice. They said don't go out and practice somewhere. And a couple players, I think, so far have gone unidentified of the Tennessee Titans. It was about 10 I want to say 10 to 12, maybe 15 players of the Tennessee Titans 
went to practice at Montgomery Bell Academy. It's a high school in the Nashville area. And I just got to kind of put them on blast here because of their irresponsibility. I get there by themselves out on a football field. The picture that identified them was a picture from, I, I, I believe, I would assume a student from inside the school, and it was just them out on the field. Still, even if you went to a city field, you know, like Green Bay has Titletown, and that's public. If you went to a public field, that's one thing. But to go to a school and practice breaking protocol when you're not supposed to even be together in the same room is irresponsible alone. Let me ask you this, Will. How many kids do you think that go to that high school, Montgomery Bell Academy in Nashville, are under protocols set by the school, set by the district, who, I, I would assume it's not a district, I think it's a private school being an academy, but I, I, I'm still not knowledgeable on it, but they still have protocols to follow nonetheless right. about the coronavirus. How many of them are already on the fringe, being young kids that they are, about following those protocols, maybe rebelling towards it a little bit, right. being at a rebellious stage in life in high school, yeah. and seeing professional football players out on the field practicing, breaking protocol, and having the knowledge that they're breaking protocol. How many of those students now turn to the to the board or turn to the superiors, the decision yeah. makers, the higher-ups of that academy, and get rebellious towards them? Why are these protocols being set in place and why do we have to follow them on such a strict level when the professional football team of Tennessee can't even follow them alone it's a terrible example let me add on to you a little bit even if you aren't a Titans fan or even if you're not a football fan you see this group of influential figures out on your football field practicing together breaking protocol you're going to get rebellious nonetheless I mean it's it's right it just comes natural then yeah that you would argue against that if you see influential uh, players in your community doing that as well. It's like us, you and I are members of the e-board on SNC Radio, who we're affiliated with, sncradio.com, by the way. It's like right now we cannot be into the studio for coronavirus reasons. That's the protocol. No one is allowed into the studio, even if it's one person, because we all use the same microphone, same board, same computer, same equipment. That's like if because you and I are e-board members, we go in there and use it anyways to record the show. Right, exactly. What example does that set? That's terrible. Mm-hmm. We are responsible radio DJs, mm-hmm. members of the Tony G Show, who went out and purchased our own equipment, microphones and such, and here we are recording episode two of season five of the Tony G Show. Remotely. Mm-hmm. Not in studio at SNC Radio. So, right. I mean, just to kind of wrap this up, I think... Fines are imminent. Suspensions, I would argue, should be imminent. Mm-hmm. Not to punish anybody, but just to set the precedent that the NFL and the Tennessee Titans as an organization are serious about this and also show the community of Nashville and specifically Montgomery Bell Academy yeah. that they are apologetic of what they did, they regret what the players did, and they regret how the players represented not just Tennessee and the Titans, but how they regretted the NFL. Yeah, and a, a couple things that I guess I'm personally interested in is, like, I want to know if the Academy knew about it. I want to know if they're paid to, like, you know, obviously... I, the, that's a good question. Like, were, the, were the Titans, like, did they just ask, or were they just, like, walk onto the field and, like, yeah, we're the Tennessee Titans? Because you think it'd be locked. Like, there'd be, like, a gate around it that would be locked. And, again, I don't know if it is a private field. It right. could be public, but it is right by the school, so you would assume it's private. I, I mean, and you want to stay consistent 
in dropping the hammer when it needs to be dropped and how it needs to be dropped. So we'll wrap up that argument and transition here. And I think it's time, Will. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's time. Everybody's favorite segment in the sports world, in the podcast community. Tony G Picks of the Week, coming up. Oh, it's good to be back, Will. It just feels right. We got the music playing. We got the Tony G Picks of the Week coming up. For those of you who are not familiar, new to the program, stick around because the program's only getting better day by day, the Tony G Show. What the Tony G Picks of the Week are is I take five picks from around the NFL, whatever week the Tony G Show is being. Tony G Show is usually on Thursdays. It has been for the last couple seasons, and it is for this season. So on Thursday, I pick five games from the upcoming NFL weekend. This week, it'll be week five in the NFL. So what I do is I pick the Thursday night game, I pick a Sunday noon game, I pick a Sunday 3.30 game, and then I pick the Sunday night and the Monday night game. I pick all five of them, I keep track, and... Listen, I'm not, a, I'm not a betting man. I don't gamble. I don't do that. But take my picks to every bank you're part of. The first season I did this, let me find a record here. What was I? I was just lights out, Will. We are not responsible for any of your wrong decisions. That's a good point. I went 29-8, and eight, but I started 17-0 and all when I first good. started. Last season I went... I went 29-23, uh, and 23. but no, no one pays attention to you're that. Still, That's you're still event. positive. It's, you know, you're above 500. I mean, listen, it's a whole new bracket of games coming up, and it's the start. I mean, this is a new season for Tony G Picks of the Week. The first five, here we go, week five in the NFL. Thursday night game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady at 3-1 and one, head to Chicago to take on the Chicago Bears, who are also 3-1. Hmm. This was a tough one for me. I kind of went back and forth on this, I will admit. Um, the Bucks have only allowed 72 yards per game rushing since 2019. The fewest in the NFL. But here's what I'd argue. Is that I'm not sold on Tampa Bay right now, and I, I wasn't at the start of the season. But here's the stat that really, really kind of set the table for me on what I should do. Tom Brady, remember, you know, I wasn't on... I wasn't a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in terms of analytics this year coming in. But since the start of the season, Tom Brady has increased his passer rating since every game. Mm. Each game he's gotten better. Week 1, passer rating of 78.4. Week 2, 80.3. 115 and 117 in weeks 3 and 4. He's only getting better. And I'm going to pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's my first pick of Tony G's Picks of the Week in this batch. Uh, Tampa Bay is going to head into Chicago later tonight and win. That's my prediction. A Sunday noon game. Bills 4-0 at Titans 3-0. I like both these teams. Mm -hmm. I think they haven't... I think the Titans haven't played the most tough opponents. Broncos, Jags, Vikings. Same for the Buffalo Bills. Jets, Dolphins, Rams, Raiders. It's going to be tough to pick. Here's what I really like, though. I've mentioned this in episode one of the Tony G Show, season five that I really like Josh Allen heading into this year. I draft him in two of my leagues. And it's really shown up in the first four weeks. Josh Allen has a 122 passer rating with Stephon Diggs this year. Last year, he wasn't even over 100, I don't believe. So I really do like Josh Allen and the Bills. I think if they game plan for that Tennessee Titan run offense that relies on Derrick Henry so much, mm -hmm. I, I'm going to pick the Bills. 
Yeah, it's really going to come down to if Josh Allen shows up because he improved a lot over the last couple years. I've always kind of liked him. Both these teams have a lot of uh, a, pr- a lot of promise going into these uh, next couple seasons. Potential. Sunday, 3.30 game. Colts, 3-1. Browns, 3-1. This has been interesting to watch the Browns this year, as well as the Colts. The Colts have Phillip Rivers now, which looks weird. Here's the thing, though, not about the Colts' offense. The Colts' defense has allowed 12 or fewer points in three consecutive games this year. And to that fact, Baker Mayfield, well, with the Cleveland Browns, 4-11 against teams above 500. I think this is one of those cases where the Browns have too much talent to manage. Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham. They do have a two-headed monster in Kareem Hunt, as well as Nick Chubb in the backfield in Cleveland. But... I think the numbers speak for themselves here that the Colts have a good defense. 12 points in three consecutive games as I just listed. I'm going to pick the Colts here. I think that's an unpopular pick. I think most people take the Browns seeing that two-headed monster who I really like. I, I do really like that Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb combo out of the backfield, but I am going to take the Colts this week. They picked up Xavier Rhodes. Yep. Huge addition. Huge. So I, I just... Former I, Viking. This is a tough choice because yep. the Browns either going to show up or they're not. Sunday night football. I have a couple weigh-ins here. Friend Owen for the Go Hawks. He's all, all Hawks on Twitter. Seahawks. And I also have his brother, close friend of mine, friends with the Founder family, Sam, weighing in. Saying, don't sleep on the Vikings this weekend. Thielen and Jefferson against a terrible secondary and no Jamal Adams for Seattle. That's a good point. Here's why I bring those two up. My buddy Sam, Viking fan. My buddy Owen, Seattle fan. So they're going to go at it this weekend, Sunday Night Football. Here's my pick. Here's my take on it. I have a lot of insights as to this game coming up. The Seahawks have allowed the most receptions and reception yards to opposing wide receivers this season. That's what Sam was kind of bringing up. Russell Wilson, however, is 6-0. That's the most wins without a loss versus the Vikings in the Super Bowl era, including the playoffs. Kirk Cousins is 7-15 in his career in primetime games. That's the fourth worst record among quarterbacks since 2000. 7 and 15. Not very good. That's that's brutal. And according to Next Gen Stats, Russell Wilson is the only quarterback with at least two deep completions, which is identified as 20 plus air yards, and one deep touchdown pass in each game this season. I like Seattle. This was a tough pick for me. I think Russell Wilson's primed for a MVP season, and I do really like him. And I do really like the Seattle Seahawks. The Vikings, I put in my bottom five teams, if you remember from episode one in the NFL through four weeks. I'm going to pick Seattle at home, Sunday Night Football. Moving on to Monday Night Football. Chargers at one and three, head to New Orleans, take on the Saints, who are two and two. This was an easy pick for me. The, The Chargers are going in it without Austin Eckler. He's injured out four to six weeks. And the Saints have Alvin Kamara. That made the pick for me. Mm-hmm. Saints on Monday Night Football. Again, Bucks, Bills, Colts, Seattle, Saints. Okay, that's that's Tony G's picks of the week. Feels good to be back. Feels good to break that down once again. Well, um, we're going to wrap up the Tony G show pretty quickly here. I just want to take a quick trip to the NASCAR world. I am a NASCAR fan. <laughs> I did get really big into it the last two, three years since I really started the uh, – since I started college, my guy Matt Benedetto is back in the Wood Brothers Racing 21 Ford car for next season. Matt Benedetto, Matt Benedetto, Matt Benedetto, Matt Benedetto. 
It's fun to say. Wow. Oh, it is. He made the playoffs this year. Didn't do much in it, but it was tough competition. Denny Hamlin and um, Kevin Harvick both had really, really good years this year, so that, that was tough competition to beat anyways. But Matt Benedetto finished in second place in last weekend's race to Denny Hamlin, of course, to all people. So, I mean, I just wanted to say that quick note. Big Matt Benedetto fan, have been since I started watching racing. So I just wanted to give that quick little update in the NASCAR realm. Well, that'll do it. Good episode. Episode 2, Season 5 of the Tony G Show. Will, any final thoughts? No, I That's mean... enough. <laughs> okay, just kidding. Any final Can thoughts? I, this is my show. Okay, sorry. Um No, it, it just feels good to be able to talk again. Yeah. Obviously, we talked about this last time, but it's it's a nice escape sometimes to, to talk. Well, especially in this coronavirus world we live in now where that's all you see on news media. I mean, as you should, you want to stay up to date on it, but right. I mean, it's good to take a break from this world, especially us being students. It's good to be out here talking sports. Yeah, I just really want to say thank you for giving us a platform. Tony to G talk. Nation. Yep, that'll do it. Well, next Tuesday, episode three of season five, we'll record it. We'll put it out. This was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening, tuning in. The Tony G Show on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back Tuesday for another episode.